Hey, Luke, what did you think about Andor? Um, I thought Andor was really, really good. It's interesting just because obviously I read a reason about sci-fi a little bit less than I used to. And kind of one of the things that sci-fi has always been relatively good at is understanding like wide societal trends. And one of the things it's always been relatively bad at is seeing the effects of those trends among groups of people rather than individuals. And I think this was a really, really good example of having a main character who was subject to a series of external forces rather than being the motivating force in his own life or his own decision like it was not his decision to be probably say radicalized it was he was responding to external effects rather than a single like moment it was it was just like this this wonderful kind of sequential thing of really understanding like where he goes from where he starts where he ends up how he gets there through external factors not a single moment where someone's mean to him or whatever it might be yeah, I would agree. I think it's really interesting that to start with the character of Cassian Andor, who we know dies at the end of Rogue One, he's a fully formed character in Rogue One. And I think a lot of prequels, like Solo is a great example of this, where instead of giving us the story of how Han Solo became Han Solo, he's Han Solo at the beginning of, of Solo already. He's driving around in like a convertible thing. He's like a wisecracking guy. So there's not much to watch because you're just like oh this character is just already this character whereas i think andor the show takes a much more clever approach which is how did external forces shape this person to create the person we meet eventually and what's really sad and really effective i think is that we because we know he dies so i spent the whole show just being like oh like this is brutal because i know that this character meets a really tragic end but i'm completely invested now in watching his transformation and what takes him there which i think I, I'm surprised that more prequels don't go that route. And I think, weirdly, the only other prequel I can think of is actually the Star Wars prequels themselves and their approach to Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, they have the most probably the most interesting approach to it. I will say that I thought that maybe the weakest part of Andor was its central character. And I think mainly that was because it had to be. Like, he has to be a little bit of a cipher. He has to be a little bit of an archetype rather than having a fully formed thing himself. And by the end, he is much more fully formed. But... There's a lot of episodes in this where you're kind of watching a guy and you're more interested in every time anyone else is on screen. I would agree. And I think that like the most noticeable point is when it switches to the prison subplot. Because when they first get to that prison, I like almost had like a violent reaction to it in this weird way because my brain was like, no, this is Star Wars. Like I can't have a weird prison satire. My brain couldn't like allow it to exist. And without... Andor being like a very big character it's really hard to follow but once it starts to like pick up and you start to understand what they're doing it makes the season the, the prison subplot turned the season from okay to one of the best seasons of TV I've ever seen and a lot of it's Andy Circus, but I think you need Cassian Andor in there as a point of view character for that or it just it, it all falls apart the, the whole season falls apart without something of Cassian Andor in there to connect it. Yeah. But then beyond Cassian Andor, it's a really impressive conceptualization of the start of a rebellion or 
I mean, it is a rebellion technically because it does get reversed, really. Like one of the one of the Reddit threads I fell down was someone arguing that it's it's similar actually to the lead up to like the Boston Massacre during the Revolutionary War, which just became like a shootout in the street. It, it also has like a lot of similarities, like the final showdown in Ferrix has a lot of similarities to labor protests in the deep South of America. There, there's a bunch of examples of funerals being disrupted by British colonial armies. It's like very, yeah, but you have a very American centric version of this. How about actually revolutions in other countries? No, 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 not, 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 um, I didn't mean that in, in America. I just, I meant like all over. Yeah, no, uh, I, particularly actually, I believe Ferrix is largely based on like Scotland and the Troubles era Ireland, according to Gilroy. Yeah, I mean, I would say I would say that one of the most impressive parts of this is that it doesn't feel ripped from a specific narrative of a specific revolution. It has a lot of different elements in there, and it has, you know, if you start in Ferrix, you have a very much a basically a, a, a colony who is standing up to a, a colonizer. Then you have uh, Mon Mothma and Stellan Skarsgård character. I'm sorry, I'm not going to get any of the names right during this whole thing because there were too many names who are on the side of kind of politicians or, or business people attempting to reverse a wrong that they see. You have Mon Mothma's sister, I think. Uh, her sister, yeah. Who's yeah, like, her sister. The, who's like the shortage revolutionary. Who's like the, yeah, like, like right, the like extra a, rich girl. Yeah, privileged child who's doing the revolution. You have the prisoners, like slave labor going on that people don't know about. Uh, and you just have the sequence of different things of kind of up and down the entirety of society, slowly all coming to the same realization and working not with each other. They're not like helping each other, but they're kind of aware that the others exist and slowly sort of like moving the pieces into place. Which is, yeah, it's it's just a very thorough picture of how a revolution like that would happen. Rather than it be like, a worse version of this would be, they are on Ferrix, there's the funeral of this of, of the woman, and then everyone goes like, we're sad about this, let's have a fight. And that would be the, the version of it, but it, it takes you up to that moment, and it's just, yeah, it's so perfectly pitched. It's also a Star Wars show that I found very unsqueamish about depicting the non how do i describe this the non earth reality of star wars it has signs so this is something i noticed it has signs the scrapyard has a sign written in star wars in uh, whatever star wars language is called it has translations on screen for star wars language on the computer screens it is a it is a show that is it has it has a, it has seen multiple scenes that I, I realize I've never seen before of Star Wars characters eating food. Yeah, it's a very it's, it's, it has a dinner table. It has a dinner table. In a, I've never seen the inside of a Star Wars person's home. I realize. Hold on. Yoda. They eat food in Yoda's little hut and you see the inside of Yoda's hut. But that is kind of it. You see a hut and you see him eat like rats or some shit. You don't see like there's there's whole scenes. You see that you see that little Yoda freak eat rats off the ground like a little like a little goblin. You don't see it in any other Star Wars media. Two people sitting down eating dinner going to bed. And there's whole scenes in this show of like how Star Wars people live, which I didn't realize I needed or cared about, but actually means that like I can think of them as human as characters. Tony Gilroy used the the term uh, kitchen sink drama. That this is a ki- this is just like tense British people having tense conversations at various tables in low lighting. And that's yeah. perfect it turns out for Star Wars. Yeah, it is. I feel like this could have gone so badly and yeah, I think the first few episodes of this are kind of a tough going. 
but it's like i mean it's like all good series like this like you know if you go back to the first season of breaking bad the first season of that is pretty slow and it just it escalates and scales up and it really ratchets up at a really nice pace and this also ratcheted up during the season at a really nice pace well so i'm going to jump in because there's a thing about the way that these episodes were structured and the way they were created that i think had a lot to do with why the show feels so different and it also feels like pictures into a world in different points because they did a really smart thing where there's sequences of episodes that are directed and written by a pair of writers and directors oh the first three episodes are written and directed by the same people. It's Tony Gilroy wrote them, and I don't remember who the director are. But that's a rare thing in TV. Usually in TV, you get a different director for each episode. But for this, it was the first three episodes are written and directed by the same pairing. The second three episodes are written and directed by the same pairing. Then there's a weird seventh episode that's just one. And then the best episodes, in my opinion, the prison ones, are all written by Bo Willimon of uh, House of Cards fame. Uh... And then Tony Gilroy comes back to write the last two episodes. So they that's why it feels like like different little vignettes from a universe because they gave these director-writer combos a chance to have three full hours to build a world. So that's why the first three episodes feel like noir. That's why the second three episodes feel like a heist movie. And that's why the prison episodes feel self-contained because the way that they structured it was like, okay, you're going to have three episodes to tell whatever story you want before you hand this off to somebody else. That's really interesting. And it works. Mm-hmm. Like it, it also, they were very smart in not giving us more single biome planets. All of the places, like, I I think I've said this on this show before. I have spent years dreaming of a gritty, like, Coruscant crime thriller. Because the idea of Coruscant in the prequels is one of the coolest ideas of a Star Wars planet, which is just like an infinite city. In this show, you finally get to see it. And, like, you get to, like, be there. And it's so cool and weird. And they extend that same mentality to all the other locations. So, like, the prison is utterly bonkers. Like, the way it's... I I didn't realize till like, probably the second or third episode that it's, like, this infinite prison going all the way up this weird water source. And they can't communicate other than, like, sign language throughout multiple days and weeks as the message gets passed up the the prison. Or Ferrix, which is a very complex society... That has like extremely weird traditions that, and then uh, uh, the the other planet that I can't remember the name of uh, where the, the base is, Aldani, is basically Space Scotland, but they make it feel more lived in and, and like go out of their way to explain that there is a people that live there that do a particular thing based on a celestial event that happens every year or every five years or whatever it is. Like every place you go, even the, uh, the Miami planet. I loved that. It was like, great. <laughs> Okay, yeah. He's like, I'm a, he keeps yelling, I'm a tourist. Like, everywhere you go in this show feels like a place and was filmed in a place, I should point out. This was not a, this was not a Mandalorian, uh, what's their fancy green screen thing called? Oh, I can't remember. I know what oh, you're talking about. Oh, they have like the, 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 the full circle 360 degrees thing. The fancy green screen. Yeah, it's what you all talked about with Black Panther, where there are, everywhere in this is a liminal space. There are no, like, there are, or whatever, the, everywhere is not a liminal space. Everywhere is real. Everywhere is real and tactile and dirty and gritty. Not a liminal space. So, what, what, so liminal spaces are very specific. Liminal spaces are joining spaces. Right. Planes, so trains, automobiles, tunnels, whatever. No, no, no. no those are not, no, Liminal spaces are like corridors. Okay. And like bits of like nothing. 
where it's kind of like you could just put it anywhere. I see. These are kind of the opposite. These are the opposite of them because every single place you are at is like it's a courtyard with a load of houses around where people live. It's in a house. It's in a ship. It's in something. Yes. Which feels real. Yeah. These are real locations. That like some of them are liminal. Like um like Rick's Road is a road. Uh, it's you know it's a transition space, but there are houses that you go into along that road. Even even Aldani, which is essentially just like them shooting in the woods for a while. There's a camp that they set up that they're in. And then there's a base that they go to that people are in. There's like, everyone is in a place doing a thing with a name and a motivation. And this shouldn't be rocket science, but God, I am so desperate for it in genre TV because it has just gone out the window. Like it's just, it's, uh, I mean, the Mandalorian gets around it because the Mandalorian is like a, the first season is like a wandering Ronin storyline it's a wolf and cub storyline by season two the mandalorian gets way fuzzier because he's not anywhere doing anything with anybody other than that one episode with timothy oliphant because he you know he's so charming i'd watch him read the phone book but this show is not that the show is like everyone's doing something even the villain what's her face that fascist lady forget her name the isb officer we know the one she was great. But, and she's also got like a boss and another person who works with her and they have like relationships and bits where they dislike each other and where they like each other. And it's, yeah, it's just very, yes. very good. And, and also uh, like I thought its depiction of, you know, institutional fascism was very, very compelling because it's not just that they're evil and mean. They're all trying to fuck each other over to get a promotion. Which is exactly how that kind of thing works. Well, and that there's diehards, right? That you have the original security guard from Ferrix who, like, actually is passionate about the cause, but maybe just to appease his overbearing mom, but maybe he also really thinks that the Empire brings order to the galaxy. Oh, man. And yeah, and also the whole introduction of the corporate. I mean, they're basically just, like, West Virginia mining towns, right? But, like, on a, on a, on a galactic level. So these, like, horribly incompetent corporations that, like, don't care about random murders or people being maimed by their machinery but they have this like corporate security force that doesn't know how to fight or doesn't know how to do anything and they're occupying this like steel town oh my god it's so fucking good it's so fucking good the more you just pull at the threads the, the smarter it is and also also the introduction of like hey the reason the empire is so successful is able to produce so much is a bunch of slave labor from prison camps oh and and, the, and they're so clever about it because they don't really totally explain to you what has happened like the characters are already reacting to how horrible it is before like you the audience gets what's happened which is that a prisoner was accidentally transferred back to his own prison because they're just moving them around wait but i don't think that was i don't think that was accidental i think the point of that was that they realized that nobody was ever getting released they explained that it was an accident what happens is you you're freed and you're moved to the next prison camp but in, there was a there was an administrative error, so the guy got transferred back to his own prison, and that's what causes the uprising, which is just like perfect. Yeah, I love the idea of a rebellion being based on an administrative error. It's like it's perfect. <laughs> well, yeah, but again, it's that thing where it's like it's not based on it. It's the underlying reasons of why it's happened. It's right. the it's the trigger, and the trigger is always stupid. Like the trigger is guy failing to shoot Archduke Franz Ferdinand, like. because of a sandwich exactly and it's like it's just nice that like after so many decades of the star war we're finally getting somebody making stories in this world that is interested in how wars start why they happen how they are won and lost and 
I don't know. Uh, it was what I when we talked about uh, Rise of Skywalker. I talked about how like the the best part of that movie was when they go to like the planet that just looks like World War Two France, and they're just like yeah. running around alleyways and stuff. And I was like, that should be the vibe. And this I feel like is is that vibe that I've been I've been craving myself. Yeah, it's pretty good. Can I ask you all one one question though? Since we've just gushed about how fucking amazing this is, why is this the least watched Star Wars thing that's ever been made? Couple reasons. One, I think it was marketed very poorly. I think that like Disney has no idea how to market something like this. And I think also there are no cameos, there is no lore, there is no fandom garbage, there's no like Funko Pop stuff for like sad, weird men to, to latch onto. Yeah, and Cassian Andor, let's be honest, was not exactly the person from Rogue One where everyone was like, This is the person I want to hear more from. Yeah. I also think that after so many years of Star Wars media being equal parts bad and good and the fight about what's good and bad driving the the viral attention without that nobody cares because it's not a culture war oh my god okay did you know there was a post-credit scene for this whole thing at the end of the last episode yeah of them building the Death Star yeah I, I missed that I've only just I've just skimmed through because I was watching it on the tube that's a great bit as well it is good I also think that there's gonna be like some kind of like Wait, 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 wait. When you said watching it on the tube the first time, I thought you meant you, like the boob tube, like the television, like on a big television. You watched this no, on no, your no, no. phone on the train? He's not from the 90s, Alan. I was running out of time. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, I, I, I watched it on the tube. It was radical. He's not, yeah. he's, I'm old, dude. He's, I turned 40. He had a fruitopia and sat back and watched on the boob tube. I just couldn't imagine yeah, no, that you I watched watch it on, my, I watched on, on my... your phone. What's wrong with you? I was I running out of time. I was like, I didn't genuinely. I was, I was out of time to watch it before I, we did this podcast. I watched most of it on an iPad Mini. Uh, I was like, hey guys, could could you all wait? Could you all wait for an hour while I watch this thing, or I could just like watch it on my phone? I w- I like to watch stuff on smaller screens, close to my face, with subtitles on, and headphones on, because there's a lot of shit going on. So it's easier to hear. It's easier to understand what they're talking about. It's easier to see stuff, like. Modern TVs have bad audio and the picture looks bad and it's too far away in your room typically. So none of those things are true in my living room. But yeah, I think I think <laughs> Ryan, this suggests I think maybe you need to get your eyes checked. I don't have a TV currently. I'm waiting to get one. Do you want um, one? I have an extra one in my house. Do you want my TV? I would have loved one. I just bought one from Amazon. It comes tomorrow. I, but no, I, to answer your question, Alan, I think that with that without a, a central culture war peg of fans fighting for or against something. Most Star Wars fans at this point have no idea what to do. Mm. And I think that this show is just good. And I think the fandom genuinely doesn't know how to react. Well, because did you see that they actually broadcast the first two episodes on linear TV on one of the networks here in the U.S.? So ABC broadcast episodes one and two on Wednesday night here in the U.S. And then broadcast them again on two Disney-owned cable networks on Thursday and Friday. Because they were so desperate to get, I assume, because they were so desperate to get an audience that had not checked this show out to check it out. But my thought was that, like, the first two episodes of this show are not going to get a casual audience into this show. But it was just wild that that's, like, it's the first time I've seen a streaming network take a streaming show and then months after it's come out, broadcast it on linear TV in an effort to get an audience to check it out. They're also showing it on Hulu here, too, in the U.S. Because I think they're desperate. It's kind of a commentary a little bit on the wider Star Wars thing. So the wider Star Wars thing is a is like a power fantasy. That's what it is. Like it is a power fantasy is the belief that you everyone will some one day discover that they too have Jedi powers and then be into it. That's like where it comes from. And this is the exact opposite of that in that it is a 
solidarity fantasy. It's like it's a com- it's a completely different thing. And so yeah, as a result, a lot of the people who were into the previous movies, where it's like this will be sold by someone picking up a lightsaber, is very much no- it's not that thing. And I think yeah, it's just it just has a different a different appreciation of it. Although Cassian Andor is kind of Jason Bourne, like he is able to just like dispatch enemies with his bare hands, kind of at will. Right, like that's how the show starts. Is that he's accidentally too powerful and he kills a man. I didn't. I didn't read it like that. I just read it that like he's like a scoundrel uh, because like he was practically feral until Marva found him. Yeah, and I think the Star Wars fans are so used to spending all of their time agonizing over fucking Gamergate bullshit that they don't know how to react to this. I, I mean, the last episode alone is one of the most beautiful hours of TV I've seen in a long time. And I, and the deta- the small details, I think, are what's striking. Like the fact that, um, what's it, Brasso or Basso, his friend, the big guy, his little funeral outfit is like the cleanest thing he owns, you know? Like, yeah. and he just, and he looks like so proud holding like Marva as a brick, <laughs> which is just bonkers to describe out loud. But all this stuff is just like not what Star Wars fans are used to. They're not used to a level of care. I don't know. I've never felt this way about a Star Wars thing where it's like everything in this works. I've never felt that way. Yeah, it's very good. And what's super nice is that when it turns out when like your genre TV is well written, like you don't have to fight all day long about who's a Mary Sue or not. You know how nice that is to be like, oh, wow, there's so many interesting characters (laughs) here to talk about. And some are bad and some are good and some are both. And I don't have to fight with some chud on Reddit about whether or not this like ruins canon because like the, the Skywalker gene is... Oh, fuck. Uh, I'm just... There were no metachlorians. There was no Jedi powers. There was no stupid. It's so nice. My only my only criticism is I think that if this... if And they rectify it towards the end, which is that, like, it's all fine and dandy to do a gritty Star Wars show, but it's a lot harder to do a, a gritty Star Wars show with a lot of puppets in it. And there are more aliens and droids by the end of the season than the beginning, but I thought that was a little cowardly to lean away from the puppets because it's harder to do a gritty kitchen sink drama with a bunch of slimy puppets. I'm a big fan of the robot's name, which if you look at it, uh, suggests that it's B2 Emo. B2 Emo. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when I first saw him, I was like, this little fucker's going to die. And then they were like, no, we're going to do something that's like much more heartbreaking, which is we're going to kill his old lady best friend and make him go to her funeral. Yeah. Which is just so emotionally manipulative. And I was, I was miserable. I was, I was absolutely miserable watching that i was like i've never wanted to watch a droid go to a funeral <laughs> this is horrible <laughs> like but it's yeah. perfect you know it works i hope it i hope it comes back wait is it not did they not already renew it for another season? no no they have a season two they have a season two yeah, yeah. oh right. good hey it's coming back great they, i think they're planning on doing three i think three seasons is the plan so yeah because i figure next season is all about him finding his friends that he sent off and i i assume this ends with a mass extinction event on ferrix I assume that like Ferrix is doomed and they're going to cover it up and Andor knows. One of the more successful things about this was that I was getting to that funeral scene and I was like, is this a massacre? I think this might be a massacre. I like, I thought it's like, I think this might be a massacre and Cassian Andor's the only person who gets out. I mean, it, it is like you, you watch a lot of people die. Like, yeah. They, and they zoom in on their eyes open. Like, <laughs> but it's a, but it's like, it's a riot rather yeah. than a massacre. I was worried it was going to be like a can you hear the people sing thing where like all of a sudden they were going to like protest in the street and no one was going to get hurt. And I was actually glad that it was a little more realistic. No, I loved it. I thought like also having that guy kick that stormtrooper off the tower. I was like, that's great. That, yeah, there's a, someone, someone also body slammed a stormtrooper at one point, which is also good fun. 
that's the key. It was really fun, but it was it wasn't w- stupid. It felt gratifying. Like um Andy Circus's character was a lot of fun to watch finally decide to just like overthrow a prison and then die cuz he couldn't swim. Yeah, I mean the sh- the show is very smart like that where like so there's there's basically three movements, right? There's the Aldani campaign, there's the prison riot, and then there's like this uh, the massacre in Aldani. There are casualties in each of those. And then, I mean, it's casualties just the whole way along. Like there's just characters who are betraying, or characters who are. Oh, I'm sorry. No, there's four because when the corpos come to Ferrix the first time, the the horrible boyfriend dies. There's a lot of there's a lot of deaths in it, and they're all they all feel. I don't say earned because it's not quite right, but like you know, it has a little bit of the. The Game of Thrones thing, where it's like any everyone anyone could die. There's also characters you knew were gonna die, like the little like communist manifesto writing motherfucker. Like that guy was gonna get it, and you knew it. And then the when they cut back to some of his writing towards the end, I thought that was the only part where I was like, all right. But I guess there has to be some ideology to get people to be inspired to rebel. Yeah, and they immediately pivot to Marva, who sells it much better, I think. And I wouldn't say it's earned, but it. It grounds the show, and you also know that Andor dies. So it's like he he has plot armor only because we know he dies somewhere else. Yeah. Which I think is like it really adds – like I assume like – George Lucas has talked about how he, he kind of he kind of imagined the Star Wars prequels as this Greek tragedy of this feeling like you're watching this character fall in love and become a person knowing this really dark thing eventually happens to them. And the, the movies don't get there because they, they, they were made for, for children. So it doesn't really get there. <laughs> yeah, this exactly. has that, though. You, you, you're watching this person politically awaken and have these relationships and like grieve his mom and all this stuff. And like you get invested in him, but you know he's doomed. And I think that like that is just great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just great. Thank you guys for listening to our bonus episode. Uh, we're at an impasse now. So if, if there's something you want us to watch, we haven't done uh, we haven't done an audience suggestion in a while. So let us know. We never did a Black Adam episode, but I don't want to pay money for that. So Yeah, no, it's not worth it. Uh, I, I'm not interested in completing our DC universe now that James Gunn's going to change it all. Although we probably should talk about the, the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special at some point. No. Um, but we can wait. <laughs> it was pretty good. I liked so it. Bad. It was really dumb. But yeah. it was, I really liked it. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for supporting the show. We will see you next week. Yeah, bye. Bye bye. So long. <laughs>